All right, so we, we're going to continue through the book of John. Such an incredible gospel so far. John chapter 2. John chapter 2, we'll be doing verses 1 through 12. It's kind of frustrating. I've always asked, like, why can't... It's so hard to teach chapter by chapter, and I always try to do that, but the Lord sometimes just stops me in a certain area and just, I want to share so much, and there's so little time. But here in chapter 2, we're going to see the beginning of the miracles of Jesus. Here we're going to see the first miracle that he's ever done, the f- well, starting in his ministry, the first miracle that he ever performed, uh, turning water into wine. And I'm sure we've all heard of this miracle. We've all read about this miracle. Um, but there's so, much, there's so much still more to know. And as we continue through the Gospel of John, uh, we need to keep in mind that you know, John, it, he records all these signs in, in order to prove something. He records, he gets really detailed in, 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 in his Gospel because he's proving something to us. What is he proving to us? He's proving to us the deity of Jesus, the deity of Christ and who he is. And the more we know him, the more we can trust him. And I mean, it's the same thing with all of us. The more you know someone, the, the, the deeper the relationship you have amongst each other, the better you begin to trust each other. And how much more do we need Christ in this, in this world today? Like how much more do we need to trust him in something that just seems chaotic, out of control, the evilness that's happening in Israel, you know, just Russia and China are beginning to, to, to get involved, which the Bible speaks about in, in Ezekiel uh, chapter 38, and how th- these are the days that we are to look up, that we are to look up at Christ and trust him. That's why it's so important to know him in a deeper, intimate relationship a deeper level and i I just love these signs and i don't want to get too detailed but uh, i'm just hoping that i i i I do my part as the lord begins just to speak to you guys um to give you what what the lord's given me and i'm excited to share with you guys but um we can't take any of these signs for granted any of these the, the the words the detail of of the gospel and the word of god we cannot take it for granted and at this point we know um, as we've read through chapter 1, we now see that Jesus had six disciples who are now following him, who now believe in him. Six disciples, and these six, they, they began this lifelong walk with him, and from the very beginning, they, they began to learn. They began, they began to become transformed by him, this transformation that takes place. And, and sometimes we tend to read the word of God and are so, so prone to take uh, just certain events for granted, but we can't do that because, you know, I, I understand. Sometimes we don't understand. We're not going to understand all the whole, you know, all, all the Word of God. It, it, no one does, and, and and sometimes that's discouraging. Sometimes we'll read over something because we don't understand or because we feel that it has no meaning behind it, but it all has a meaning. Because notice to, to the disciples, each day, each new event, it, it brought marvels that, that most of the time were, were too difficult for them to understand. As we've seen, the, the constant questions they have, Lord, what did you mean by this? Lord, what does this mean? Lord, why did you say that? The constant, que- the constant questions and, 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 and they began, it, in their own lives, it, it was too difficult to understand. But these events are all done for a reason and a purpose a reason 
And the purpose is, is, is to learn more about Jesus and who he is, to learn more about uh, Christ and, and what he's done for us and, and to be able to just trust him in these days. We must never take any word or, Im- or any miracle that Jesus says or does for granted. This is, these are very, especially here, the first miracle. There's a very important doctrinal message here uh, that we need to learn in, in this simple miracle of just simply turning water into wine. There's so much to know, so much to learn about this. And I love how, you know, as you read and, and you, you dive deep into the word of God, God begins to just bring it to life. Um, and, I, and I'm just, again, I'm excited to share with you. So, um, so for example, this, this passage here, it speaks of um, the wedding feast. The wedding feast here is, is, is a picture of the nation of Israel. What happened? It speaks of that their wine had run out. The wine ran out and the people's supply was empty. The nation of Israel, their supply became empty. And guess what? Their Messiah stood there with them. Their Messiah was right there, and yet we see Israel was so ignorant to their own Messiah that had come. If you remember last study uh, in chapter, the last study, chapter 1, verse 26, John says, the, the, there stands one among you whom you do not know. And they were ignorant that their Messiah was there ready to help them. And, and so we see here a, a, this picture of a spiritually just bankrupt nation, a nation without joy, a nation that has lost their joy. And, and it, it, we'll see the wine here, it, it, it's a representation, it's a symbol of joy. Joy, if you've read Psalms 104, uh, 104 verse 15, it says, wine that makes glad the heart of man. And now we're not going to speak of wine as an alcoholic beverage. You know, we don't, we don't condone uh, alcohol. We don't condone drinking. Personally, I've made the decision. If we don't speak of it during those times, wine was naturally fermented. If, have you ever tried the um, drink kombucha? Yeah, I, I pictured that being their wine at the time. Kombucha, it speaks, it actually gives a warning on the label saying this is not, it, it possibly, it could possibly be naturally f- uh, fermented, meaning may grow some alcohol in it. But I, obviously, you know, I, you don't get drunk off of it. So I feel like, th- you know, th- at that time, that's, th- that's the, the kind of wine they had. It, it doesn't have the level of alcohol that the wine in our days have today. So it speaks of joy, and the wine, it represents joy. Notice they were all out of their wine. They were all out. We also see that they were without hope at the time. They were without hope. Why? Because it was impossible for them to replenish so much wine so last minute in order to keep the party going. They were without hope. It was impossible. And, and, and the key words, like, it's impossible, these things, what... Uh, what takes place. It, it's, it's all an impossibility, but we know that God, who, Jesus, can do the impossible. It was impossible for them to continue the celebration without wine. The people, what they had, their ceremonies, they had their cer- ceremony, but they had nothing to satisfy themselves with it. They had nothing to satisfy. 
And the wine was what brought joy to festivals at the time. It was what brought uh, uh, joy and, 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 and happiness at, their, at the festivals, their ceremonies that they have. But notice who was among them. Who was among them whom they did not know? Christ, their Messiah. He was there. He was there ready to fill their cup. He was there ready to bring, return the joy that Israel has lost, to return to them their joy. He was ready to give them hope. That is our God today. That is Christ today in our lives. And we know one day that that Christ, he will bring joy again to Israel. He will, one day Israel will receive Christ as their king. He will never abandon Israel. If you've read Isaiah 54, Hosea uh, chapter 2, it prophesies that one day Christ will, uh, uh, when he returns, they will receive him as their Messiah. But until then, what does Christ say? What do we see? We're going to see in verse 4, what have I to do with you? That's what he's saying. What have I to do with you? Does he say that to you? Maybe you lack faith. You, you, you don't believe or you haven't accepted him. His response is, what have I to do with you? If you don't believe in me, if you have not accepted me, to this very day, we see that the, is, the nation of Israel has rejected Christ. And you know what? We pray for, for peace in Israel we intercede on behalf of Israel, but Israel will never have peace. They will never find peace. Why? Because they don't believe in Christ as their Messiah. He is the one. He is the Prince of Peace. How can there be peace in our lives without Christ in our lives, without Christ in their lives? How can there be peace? There can't be. And, and, and they're not going to receive him until the day when he returns when he returns in, 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 in glory and power, as he promised Nathaniel that you will see, see me when I return, you will see these things when I return in glory and power. One day they will. They will see Jesus. They'll recognize him. And I pray that we recognize him now. We recognize him who he is as our Messiah, the Son of God. So this first miracle we see, it teaches us how the sinner is saved. How the sinner, it's a symbol of salvation. Jesus, uh, uh, John chapter 1 speaks of Jesus as the word, right? And as salvation can only come through the word of God. We can only get salvation through the word of God. And here through this miracle, we will see five symbols of salvation. Five on how the sinner is saved, how we were saved We'll start with the first symbol. If you can write it down, I recommend it. A thirsty crowd. We're going to see a thirsty crowd. The first symbol. Let's start in verse 1. It says, On the third day, there was a wedding in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. On the third day, John here means three days after the call of Nathaniel. Three days after the call of Nathanael. And since John recorded in, in, in chapter 1 that Nathanael was called on what? The fourth day of the week. Here we know that the wedding here took place on the seventh day of the week, which was Saturday. 
It took place on the seventh day. And I point this out for a reason because I love how throughout this gospel, John is so detailed in, 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 in to record these things for a reason. And he shows us this divine schedule that Jesus was on. This schedule every day, every minute, Jesus was in perfect obedience to the will of the Father. The third day. What does the third day also represent to us? The third day that Christ rose. The third day. And here he's showing us the divine schedule. Jesus lived his prayer that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was constantly in the perfect will of God. Therefore, Jesus, knowing this wedding, was going to run out of wine. He knew before even going into the wedding that they were going to run out. They were going to ask him to refill their wine. He knew. So notice he was invited. He was invited. He was divinely scheduled to be there. He was scheduled, not by coincidence, it, 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 it was all for a purpose. And we're going to see that purpose. It was all for the, the, the Father's perfect will in his life. So he was invited to attend this wedding. Verse 2, it says, Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Notice one thing that I love about Jesus. It's funny because so many times, so many people think that, well, if I invite Jesus, if I accept him into our lives, you know, that means the end of fun for me. That means all of my good times I'm going to have to give up. That I, I, now my life's going to be boring. It's so funny how people think that. However, we see so many stories throughout the Gospels where Jesus, he was invited and he was welcomed among those who were having a good time, those who were celebrating. You know, in the Jewish culture of that day, a wedding was actually the best part, was, the, was one of the best parties to attend back then. Out of all their celebrations, they all loved to attend a wedding. It was one of the, the best parties. And notice Jesus was invited to attend. He didn't come to spoil the party. You know, he didn't come to spoil it or, 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 you know, any of the good times. He didn't come to spoil any of the good times that were going on the, the celebration. Instead, he helped them. He helped bring joy back to their celebration. He helped bring joy to the party as we're going to see in a little bit. And notice it's in verse 3 it says, And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. They have no wine, Jesus. Remember earlier I mentioned wine was a symbol of joy? Well, here we see that they had run out of wine. They've run out. And the people at the wedding were becoming thirsty. There was, there was nothing to satisfy their thirst. Better yet, they had what run out of joy. As it symbolizes the nation of Israel, they've run out of joy. I believe that Jesus better heard Mary say, Jesus, the people have lost their joy. They have no more joy. Jesus, the people are thirsty. A thirsty crowd. I believe that, that Jesus heard Mary when she, they said they have no wine. He says, yeah, you're right. They don't. They lost their joy. 
The people are thirsty. Isn't this a picture of the lost world today? The world that we're living in? You know, people are, are they're, they're constantly tasting the pleasures of the world, but they're, they're never finding any personal satisfaction. Before you became a Christian, did, were you ever satisfied? I, I know I wasn't. You desire more, more of this world, but it will never satisfy you. And whatever, you know, whenever you did find fulfillment, it, it would always run out eventually. And everything that, that had to do with this world, nothing this world offers is able to quench the thirsty soul. There's always going to be that void without Christ. That void, the, the desire of more and... and, and there's nothing, there's nobody that can fill that but Christ. And here we see that the word of God constantly invites thirsty sinners. It's constantly inviting uh, sinners to come to Jesus, come to Christ for salvation and fulfillment. Notice Isaiah 55 verses one through three. I'll read it to you. It says, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk with, with um, milk with, without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And notice, your wages for what does not satisfy. Why are you wasting time? on what does not satisfy you? Why are you wasting money, your time, on what's not satisfying you? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and I, the Lord, shall make an everlasting covenant with you. Jesus inviting Come to the fountain. You will find fulfillment. And, and later in John 4, we see that Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. What? The water that the world offers. They will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. It's obvious, right? It's obvious that the word of God says there is no satisfaction with what the world offers you. There is no satisfaction. We can only be truly satisfied with what Jesus offers us. And we're going to see that here. Verse 4, Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not come yet. That's kind of sound like a rude response, right? If I told my mom that, she'd slap me. <laughs> Woman, what have I to do with you? <laughs> no, actually, Jesus here spoke to his mother with a term of respect. I'll tell you why. Notice why he didn't call her mother. Jesus here wanted to emphasize that now at the beginning of his public ministry, he now had a different relationship with Mary. There was a different relationship. Jesus here again shows his perfect obedience to, uh, and his perfect surrender to the will of his Father. He indicated here that there was a new relationship between him and Mary. 
a new relationship. Jesus was saying if she, if, if, if she thought, or I'm sorry, if she sought his help now, she, he's saying she, you, you can no longer seek it on the basis of you being my mother. He, they, she can no longer seek help on the basis of their mother and son relationship. But notice how Jesus, he practically said no to Mary. He said, I won't do it. It's not time. But then he goes on to do it. We see him do the miracle. Again, showing us that he was now demonstrating a different relationship to Mary, saying that from here on out, he would have to consult with his heavenly father. From here on out, it's no longer your will. It's no longer my will. It's going to be God's will. It is God's will. Therefore, he said no to her. But I believe that he prayed at that moment and he received what he needed to do from his heavenly father. Jesus says in John 5.30, I can of myself do nothing. I do not seek my own will, but the will of the father who sent me. And he was sharing that. He made that clear to Mary. I'm not doing it because you're telling me to is because God allowed it. It was God's will. And he allowed it. Jesus will take action. Notice he will take action, but he must act under what his father's will, his father's purpose, and in his father's perfect timing as he was surrendered to the will of the father when he was man, when he became man. He was surrendered to God's will. In verse 5, it says, His mother said to the servants, Notice, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Do it. Mary's, notice Mary's boldness here. After hearing what Jesus had just told her, she was confident that his will would be to do it. She was confident. We need to understand that it is in God's will to answer our prayers and supplications. So when you pray, expect God to do something. But notice, it, it, he'll never answer it in the way we want him to answer it. He will never answer, the, some, oh, sometimes he will. It just depends all on God's will. When you pray, when you, when you ask for, for supplications and you, you, you give your supplications to the Lord, don't expect him to answer the way you want him to. It must always be in his own way. It must be for his reason and it must be for his own perfect timing. Therefore, Mary says, whatever he says to you, do it. This is is a wise saying. Whatever he says to you, do it. It's wise for everyone to obey Mary's direction here. Show this to the Catholic religion, right? Show this to Mary here is pointing. She's giving the glory to God. And to believe that you must go through Mary to get to Jesus, it's totally opposite from the word of God. That's what the Catholic religion believes, that sometimes you must go through Mary, pray to Mary in order to get to Jesus. She's practically saying that we need, uh, uh, the uh, Catholicism is practically saying that we need to go through Mary because Jesus is hard-hearted and Mary is the tender-hearted one. She's the compassionate one. She'll hear you and therefore she'll speak to Jesus for you. 
That is false. That is a heresy. That is nothing but heresy. That is contrary to the word of God because what does Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 tell us? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and that we may find grace to help in time of need. That is the command of Jesus. We have the privilege of going directly to the throne of God. You today have that privilege to approach the Holy of Holies. Back in the day when the law was in effect, the, the, it was the high priest was only able to enter the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle once a year. And if they went in with a blemish of sin or their, their heart was wrong, they would drop dead. And therefore they would tie a rope around their ankle and pull them out. They were only able to, you were able to approach every day day and night you have the privilege because of what christ did because he brought grace and truth you can approach god you can approach his throne directly so therefore whatever he says to us we can do it whatever he says to you we must do it and next we see the second symbol of empty water pots These empty water pots we see here, they represent the human heart. They represent to us the human heart. What? Hard and empty. The human heart is hard and empty. The Bible will often compare to the human being as a vessel. We are often compared to as a vessel in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 through 21. It says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses, cleanses himself from the latter, from the, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You see, the, 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 the sinner's life, it, it may look good on the outside. They may look like a good person, but God sees it as empty and useless. You can have the nicest little old lady always giving, but without Christ, she is empty and useless. Unless what? He is able to work a divine miracle in us. The miracle that we're going to see, we are nothing but empty vessels, worthless vessels. And here we see the divine miracle of a Christian's conversion, of, this, of, of our conversion. Verse 6, it says, Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus begins this miracle by using what was already there. Notice that. We know that Jesus could have probably performed this miracle in a number of ways. Absolutely he could have. But he started with what was there. He's like looking around Okay, these water pots right here, we're going to use these. 
or in a UZs. And this, this just it goes to show us how God is, is he's there. He's ready to meet us and he's ready to use you right where you are. He's ready to meet you right where you are. And so many times people feel like they need to achieve something or they need to amount to something before God can work in their lives. But the fact is that that God will meet you right where you are. He can use you right there and then, no matter your sins. He can use you no matter the condition you are in. He can use you. God is there ready to make you a vessel of honor. All you must do is surrender. Surrender to, to his will. Give your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord and he will make you a vessel of honor. He is ready to fill you with the living water. The living water. And notice our third symbol. The filling with water. Filled with water. Verse 7, Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. To the brim. Notice Jesus here asked, for the cooperation of men in this miracle. He asked for the cooperation of the servants. He could have easily, again, filled the pots himself or just as easily created the liquid already inside the pots, but no, he said, fill them. Fill the pots. But notice, he used the servants to do this, placing them in a unique place of blessing for this miracle. He placed them in this unique place and he did this for a purpose. He knew that if the servants shared in the work, they would also share in the blessing, in the blessing of the miracle. And that is God's desire and his reason for filling us with his Holy Spirit. To fill us and make us vessels of honor, vessels that can be used for his glory because you see the, the call that God places on our lives to share in the work of building his kingdom, it, it's, not, it's not some burden. It's not a burden or some boring task. Many people see that like, what, what does God want me to, what does God want to use me for to start a church? That sounds boring. No, it's, it's a work, guys. It's a work of unimaginable blessings and joy. I wouldn't trade what the Lord's called me to do for anything in this world. I used to make six figures. I used to have a cool dream job. I, I wish I would have came sooner. I'm telling you the blessings that came from, from being used by the Lord, being a servant. And notice the water for washing is, is in the Bible. It's an image of the word of God. It, if you see in Ephesians 5.26, it says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. By the word. All the servants had to do here was fill the empty water pots with water. That's all they had to do. Just like, what does that sound like? Just like us, right? The servants of the Lord, the servants of Christ, all we must do is fill what the heart of the unbeliever with the word of God. That is our job. It's not our job to save souls. We're not told go save souls. No, we're told to go build, make disciples. 
It's our job to give people the word of God. And then what we just let Christ, the Holy Spirit, begins to perform the miracle, the transformation. You plant the seed, the Holy Spirit waters it. The Holy Spirit will water it. And there's so much joy. There's so much blessings that come from being a part of the work of salvation. I know it's scary sometimes to approach a stranger and try to talk to them about the Bible, especially nowadays where people are so like rejecting of it. But be led by the Spirit. Don't just go randomly be led by the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit guide you to the right person that needs the Word of God. And He will. He will guide you. Notice the water pots. They filled them to the brim. I found that interesting. So we read that the water pots, they were filled to the brim. No more was able to be added into these water pots. They were filled to the brim. And we see this as a a pattern of our faith, as a pattern of our obedience to the Lord. When you are called to believe in him, Believe in him to the brim. Believe in him to the brim. Don't leave any room for the enemy to add something extra. No, you believe in him to the brim. When you are told to love him, love him to the brim. Love him to the brim. When you are commanded to serve him, you serve him to the brim. You serve him. It's the idea of Colossians 3.23. It says that whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Do it wholeheartedly to the brim as to the Lord and not to men. Whatever you do, whatever the Lord calls you to do, do it to the brim. Do it wholeheartedly. Remember earlier, What Mary said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, better, I feel like it's better rendered as whatever he says to you, do it up to the brim. Whatever he tells you to do, do it wholeheartedly to the brim with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. I can't stress that enough. Next, we're going to see the fourth symbol of water into wine. The turning of water into wine. Notice when the sinner's heart has been filled with the word of God, then Christ can perform the miracle and what? Bring joy to our lives. When the word of God, that is the key word, When the word of God, when we fill our hearts, our lives with the word of God, the transformation begins. It brings joy to our lives. For example, in in Acts uh, 8.26, when Philip was called and led by the Holy Spirit to meet the Ethiopian man on the road, he was questioning, he was reading a, a passage of Isaiah, and he didn't understand. But the Holy Spirit led Philip to it, and, and, and to this, this man who just lacked understanding. And after Philip explained to him and filled him with the word of God, then the man, what? The man believed. 
The man believed, therefore it says that the Ethiopian went on his way, what? Rejoicing. Read it. He went on his way rejoicing after Philip had given him revelation, had given him the word of God. He went on, and this is why I question sometimes a joyless Christian. There's, I see it all the time. I've counseled sometimes, and it's like a lot of them just lack joy. I question that. How can you be a Christian and have no joy? And then I question that, I, I ask them, like, are you in your word? Are you reading the word of God? Because that is a sign of the lack of, of the word of God in their lives. A Christian that loses their joy. That is a sign. I know we go through hard times. I know we struggle. I know we have trials. But that's why we have the word of God. That we can have joy. Why? Because joy doesn't mean happiness. Joy is not happiness. Why? Because happiness is based on circumstances that happen. Right? You win a million bucks, you're happy. You lose the million bucks, you're no longer happy. Joy, it's, it's consistent. Whether good or bad that happens in your life, you have the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy, and you get that from reading the word of God from the reading and, and, and the, the, the koinonia, the fellowship, the praying, the daily devotion with the Lord. A quick note, remember in chapter 1, verse 17, John the Baptist said that the law came through Moses. The law came through Moses. And in, what do we see in Exodus seven nineteen? Moses, what? Turned water into blood water into blood and that indicates uh, to us judgment it indicated judgment showing us that the law uh, the law actually results in death it actually will result in death and the purpose that the law was given was to reveal our sin the whole purpose that god gave moses the law was to show us how sinful and how guilty we actually are because all have fallen short of the law of God. It revealed to us judgment. But now, here we see that Christ turns water into wine. Water into wine, it speaks of grace. It speaks of joy and showing us the, the gladness and the joy of this new work, this new covenant. Chapter one seventeen again it says that, that grace and truth came through what? The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. Jesus came to what? To proclaim us innocent. Jesus came to proclaim us innocent and free us from the bondage of the law. Because why? If we would be judged by the law, we would be guilty. But if we are judged in Christ, we have been justified. We are guiltless in Christ. That is what Christ came to do. This is what we see here as water is transformed into wine and it's transformed into this into joy, this new covenant. So verse eight, it says, and he said to them, 
Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And notice they took it. They took it. The faith, just imagine the faith that it must have taken these, these servants to draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. The faith. We don't know when, when the transformation happened, but we know it did happen. Whether it was when they took it and when they served it or when they scooped it out. But we don't know, but we know it did happen. And the faith, it took them. Because imagine how angry the master would have felt to receive, to taste water, right? That, he would have been furious. And this would, this, this would have been a disaster. But yet by faith, they obeyed the word of Jesus. What did Mary say? Whatever he tells you to do, do it. It's always going to be a step of faith. A step of faith when Christ calls you, when he tells you to do something. How will you know the word of God? How will you know Jesus is calling me here? Lord, show me that it's you. Confirm to me through your word. And it will require a step of faith. It will require. Why? Because it has to be impossible. Your faith has to be tested. A faith that cannot be tested, God cannot trust that faith. There will be a test, and it will be an impossibility as this was here. They're like, wait a minute, we poured water in there. You want me to take them water? No. He says, take them and serve them the wine. Take a step of faith. It will require faith. It will be impossible. Why? So God gets the glory. He will get the glory when you take that step of faith and you realize, oh, that was the Lord. Wow, what a blessing. What a blessing that is. Verse 9, it says, When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Imagine the bridegroom just scared. The master's calling me. Again, the special blessing here that was given to these obedient servants. Think about it. The master of the feast only knew that it was good wine. Just imagine how good that wine must have been created by Jesus himself. The master was super blessed by how good this wine was, but he didn't know that it was given by a miracle. He didn't have that blessing, but the servants did. The faithful servants who did their work to the fullest, they knew the greatness of this miracle because they filled it to the brim. Jesus commanded, they did it, and they were blessed to see this incredible transformation. When you give the word of God to people, you will see the transformation, and it is an incredible blessing, I promise you that. An incredible blessing. In verse 10 it says, And he said to him, Every man, notice, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, then the, the, the not so good wine. First, you, you, they bring out the good wine. 
so they can because they're they're still a little sober so they're drinking all the good wine and to save money they leave the bad wine to the end because we are already maybe maybe just feeling a little dizzy so you don't realize you're drinking bad wine anymore so every man at the beginning sets out the good wine and when the guests have well drunk then the inferior you have kept the good wine until now notice the master of the feast he gave the bridegroom this huge this great public compliment he complimented them if they would have run out of wine at that time it would have meant a social disgrace they would have been disgraced they would have been embarrassed they would have been humiliated from the master of the feast who who was probably someone great that was invited maybe someone that helped pay for the whole wedding whatever it could have been the master of the feast they would have meant social disgrace but notice this miracle of Jesus not only prevented them from any social disgrace but he transformed it into what i think was probably the greatest wedding party that they've ever seen with the wine that he gave them this is what we can expect this is what we can expect from a life with Christ a life uh, as we surrender our lives to Christ it's not dull it's not boring it's not we when we think we've seen the greatest of blessings or the greatest of works there's always greater there's always more there's always something better i think of my own life how god you know he just never ceases to amaze me especially like when he in in sometimes in the smallest things like like a simple hospital visit to see just the glory of god in someone that is dying someone that's in pain but yet they have this joy that's an incredible work of god and to be able to see that just keeps getting better and the master of the party said you have kept the good wine until now you have kept the good wine until now the, and and this there's a significant principle behind these words the principle is that for the people of god for us in here for the people of god the best is always yet to come the best will always be yet to come but notice without god our last will be our worst without god with god are the best will always be yet to come but without him what happens our last when you when someone breathes their last breath without the lord it becomes their worst their worst i love what charles spurgeon says he says look within the doors of the devil's house and you will find that he is true in this rule he brings forth first the good wine and when men have well drunk and their brains become confused and disoriented then he bring, brings forth that which is worse satan wants to destroy our lives why does satan hate us so much why does he hate you so much why does he always want to destroy because you're made in the image of god because you're made in the image of god 
God says, I created you in my image, and Satan hates everything about God. Everything. So Satan's always going to seek to please you with the riches of this world, the, the, the desires. Oh, look what I can give to you. I can give to you the whole world. And he has the power to give you all the riches. All these celebrities we see, they, they, I've, I've, I've seen some of them even, even uh, confess that they've sold their souls to the devil. And yeah, they got everything they wanted. They have the best wine now. But what happens in the end? Because there will be an end one day. There's this old saying that says, save the best for last. Save the best for last. When we stay true and faithful to the Lord, we're going to see the best in heaven, which is yet to come. Don't settle for any of what the best is now. Don't let Satan fool you into that. And in closing, the fifth symbol we see is the beginning of miracles. The beginning of miracles. And salvation, what is salvation? Salvation is the beginning of miracles. It is the first miracle, the beginning of the miracles that God will be doing in your life. After a person is saved, God begins to perform miracle after miracle after miracle. He'll begin to perform all these miracles in in our lives. And, And these miracles we experience in our lives are all what? For you to have a good life? For you to have, yeah, sometimes, but... It is all for the glory of God. The miracles that he does in your life, it is all for the glory of God. And notice verse 11 through 12, it says, this beginning of signs, this first miracle, Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee and what? Manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. But notice this beginning of signs in the gospel. John, again, speaks of the miracle of conversion. The miracle of conversion from the old ways of the law, from the old ways that the law, from the law that brought judgment to what? To the new life of Christ through grace and joy. The grace of God brings joy to our lives. And this particular miracle here shows us that there is a transforming power, this transformation power that is associated with Christ. There is a transformation power in Christ. We could say that the water here represents a relationship with God under the Old Testament or the the Old Covenant. But the wine represents a relationship with God under the new covenant. This new covenant, because notice the wine comes after the water and the new covenant is what? After the old covenant. The wine is much better than the water and, and therefore we know that, that this new covenant, is, is, it's so much greater, so much better than the old covenant that we read of as the law came through Moses, that the, the, the law of Moses, and it is because of the grace and that the joy that comes from this new covenant, Jesus bringing us what? Grace and truth. 
And notice this beginning of signs, it what? It manifested the glory of Christ. Manifested his glory. The word manifested in the Greek, notice it's translated, it means to become known. To be plainly recognized and notice thoroughly understood who and what one is. To become plainly recognized and what? Thoroughly understood who and what one is. Jesus became thoroughly recognized by this miracle. Thoroughly recognized. This first miracle has plainly and thoroughly shown us exactly who Christ is. Exactly who he is. The son of the living God. The Messiah. The Lamb of God. The King of Israel. The Christ. This miracle has revealed to us who Christ is. And notice the glory of Jesus. The glory of Jesus is found and, man- is found and manifested in what? His compassion. His compassion. This miracle, it was full of compassion. If you think about it, this wine, it wasn't an absolute necessity right? They, they, they probably, they would have survived. No one would have died or, or, or would have ever been harmed in just drinking water. It was the wine that, no, the, the only thing at risk was the, what, the embarrassment, the reputation of the bride and groom, the social disgrace. Yet Jesus and his father, they counted that enough to do the first public miracle and reveal the glory of Christ. Through his love, through his compassion, his glory becomes manifested. If you've read Exodus 33, 18, what does Moses say? He says, show me your glory. Show me your glory, Lord. What does God say? How does he respond? He says, I will make my goodness pass before you. I will make my goodness pass before you. And so you see the glory of God is manifested and shown through the goodness. How did Christ, how did God show his goodness to us? We'll see in John 3, 16, that he loved us. He was glorified. He was glorified for giving his life for us. Who has revealed to us the Father? Jesus. And who has shown us love and compassion and goodness? Jesus. Therefore, Jesus is glorified as God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the one true God. Jesus is glorified. And therefore, it says his disciples believed in him. His disciples believed in him. This is the question that I'll leave you with today. Because the faith of, of the, his disciples here, it's significant. This faith, it, it, you know, especially in, in comparison to the, the others that were actually presented and, and even benefited from the miracle, but no specific belief was mentioned about them. Not saying that they didn't believe, but it wasn't really mentioned. I I feel like that's for a reason. The master of the feast didn't believe. 
The bridegroom didn't believe. It, it, it doesn't even say that the, service, the servants that were assisting him believed. Notice it was his true disciples, true disciples that believed in him. Believing in him does not mean knowing of him. That doesn't make you a disciple. Oh yeah, I know Jesus. I know of him. That's not believing in him. Believing in him means to know him on a personal level, on an intimate level. It's only his true disciples that know him on this personal level, to know him personally. And I believe, I strongly believe when he returns from, for his church, he is going to return for his true disciples, for his true disciples. So I leave you with that question. Do you believe in him? Do you believe him? Do you believe he is the son of God? Do you believe he is the Messiah? Do you believe that he is the lamb of God? And if you do, if you do, whatever he says, whatever he tells you to do, will you do it? Ask yourselves that. Will you do it? Let's pray. Father, we, Lord, are so grateful, so thankful, Lord, for who you are, Lord, for your word, Lord, for what you've revealed to us, Lord, for what you've shown us, Father, Lord, whatever seed that you've planted in, in the hearts tonight, Lord, may you just water them. Lord, may you just fill them with the living water, all of us here today, Lord, may you, Lord, be our sufficiency, Lord. Lord, we're so grateful. So thankful, Lord. That you took the punishment, Lord, for us. And Lord, what joy, what joy we have in you. I pray that you increase our joy. Lord, through the days we're living in, through the trials we face, the pain that we feel, may it all be for your glory. And may you just fill our hearts with joy. May your joy protect our hearts, Lord. May it protect our minds. May your peace, Lord, just flood our hearts, Father. And Lord, I just pray that you use every single one of us here for your glory so that you, Lord, your glory may be manifested in all the world. For we know one day, Lord, you will, you will magnify yourself. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And I just pray, Lord, that you go before us now, Father, and may we magnify your name, Jesus. And we thank you so much, Lord, again. And we pray and we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.